morning everyone. <clears throat> well, uh, a few months ago, over Memorial Day weekend, I was standing on a beach in Tijuana, Mexico. But before you seethe with envy and imagine me, you know, with sprawled out on a beach chair with a book in one hand and a fruity drink with a tiny umbrella in the other, uh, let me assure you that I wasn't there to feel the sand between my toes or swim in the rolling waves of the Pacific Ocean. I had come to Tijuana as part of a group being trained by an organization called the Global Immersion Project, which exists to help all people, but especially Christians, think deeply about and take seriously our responsibility to be peacemakers in this world. Our call to pursue peace can be seen throughout Scripture, but it is perhaps most clearly articulated in one of Jesus' promises and commands that he gave in the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapter 5, where it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, I've been a Christian for almost 20 years. I grew up in a home with a Bible in just about every room and a prayer over just about every meal. And I've probably been able to recite Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God for, for pretty much nearly all, all my life. But five months ago, standing on that beach in Mexico with my global immersion teammates, I witnessed something that drove this verse from something good I knew in my head to something I desired and wanted to pursue with my whole heart. See, part of how global immersion trains people to end peacemaking is by taking them uh, into areas of the world that have a lot of conflict, a lot of brokenness and suffering. In these places, immersion teams get to hear from and learn from the people that are living in these situations that make it hard to find true peace. My immersion trip took place in and around the cities of San Diego and Tijuana and gave me the opportunity to consider what peacemaking looks like in light of the many complex issues going on at our nation's border. Most of us are probably at least a little aware of the immense and life-threatening hardship that the people are, from Central America are, are going through right now and in the last few years have been forced to, to flee their homes due to uh, just a lot of conflict and a lot of chaos going on in those countries. And, and they've, a lot, many of them have, have uh, run to our border and are now there waiting to request either safe passage or refugee status or asylum. This influx of people waiting to enter the United States has overwhelmed our already at-capacity immigration system, caused lawmakers to scramble to write new legislation, law enforcement officials to juggle what is often even daily changes in policy, and immigrants to consider desperate acts to get around the stalled immigration system, including illegal entry. All of that hardship all of that struggle and confusion and anger and fear sets the context for my trip and for this picture that we'll show you now. What you see in this picture is the border wall on the beach that I mentioned earlier in Tijuana. But the wall itself, as evocative and as powerful as a symbol of struggle and peacelessness, isn't what pierced my heart that day. If you look closely on the left side of this wall, and I know he's, he's very hard to see, but there's a man standing there in, the, in that photo. He has one hand pressed against the iron bar of the barrier, and in his other hand, he, he's, he's got a cell phone. He talked on the cell phone for most of the time that we're there on that beach. And his, his gaze, his eyes are fixed on something beyond that barrier. He was kind enough to take a few moments away from his conversation on the phone to, to shake our hands and introduce himself as Juan Miguel. Now, I don't know very much about Juan's life, and I don't know, but I do know that uh, at the time where I, when I took this picture, he had been recently deported. Having been caught breaking the law as an undocumented, undocumented immigrant living in the United States, he was sent back to his home country of Mexico. 
Now, stories like these create a lot of mixed emotions for me and, and probably for you as well. There's a lot going into these things and a lot of opinions and, and a lot of different ideas. And I was, of course, sad for Juan Miguel. This is, this is a sad situation. He's in a hard situation. But I could also understand how it happened and, and why law enforcement has to go through the process of keeping the things that they've been told to. And, and while my, my sadness for Juan Miguel extended to him and I had a lot of compassion for his situation, and then he told us what he was doing on the beach that day and why he was at the wall and it changed my sadness to absolute heartache. You see, Juan Miguel pointed through an opening in the border wall and called our attention to a man standing about 50 yards or so away, also talking on the phone. The man standing uh, that, uh, that far away on the beach was Juan Miguel's brother. They met at the wall as often as they could to, uh, to talk when they, when they could, and they would sometimes get closer if the U.S. Border Patrol would allow. There's different times and different days that you can get closer to the wall or have to stay away. But while Juan Miguel liked talking to his brother, he, he you know, enjoyed this phone conversation and being able to connect with his brother, that wasn't really who he was there to see. If you look closely at the feet of, of the brother in this second photo, you can see a, a kind of a little black dot, a little, a little black um, spot there on the, on the photo. Sitting there playing in the sand is Juan Miguel's daughter. What you can see there is her head and her hair. It turns out he comes to the border every day to see his little girl, to talk to her, and to try to remain close to her from behind iron and fence and barbed wire. This is the moment that I felt the need for peacemaking in this world. Because no matter where you stand on issues of immigration or, or what's going on at the border, I hope you can look at this picture and share this moment with me and, and feel a deep need within your heart that, to realize that something is wrong here. This is not life as it should be. This is not a relationship that a father and a daughter should have to share. Throughout scripture, the word peace is used to describe our need, our hope, and occasionally our reality for wholeness and completeness and flourishing. It's reconciliation between people around us and the God above us. It's both an inner state of surrender to the Lord and an external commitment to holistically repaired relationships that reflect God's definition and expectation for justice and mercy and grace. Peace is seeing the goodness of God restored and flourishing in our own lives and in the lives of the people around us. It is all these things and more, and it was completely absent in the life of Juan Miguel and his brother and his daughter. It is for moments like these and people like Juan Miguel that Global Immersion seeks to train followers of Jesus to take seriously our call to be peacemakers. Being a peacemaker doesn't mean that you're going to set out into the world to solve every problem. It doesn't mean that you'll strive to become some sort of great social justice warrior. And it most certainly doesn't mean that you're going to approach people who are hurting and tell them not to worry or, or, not, or to have no fear because you've been trained in what to do and you can fix everything right away. Being a peacemaker means that you're willing to learn about the lives of the broken and the suffering in your midst that you'll listen to their stories and you'll share your own, that you'll commit to the transformation that needs to occur in your own heart so that you can love people that you previously overlooked or maybe even regarded as enemies, even if they don't love you back, that you want to see the love of God go forth as the most powerful peacemaking and justice-creating force this world has ever known, even if that means you're going to have to put in some hard work and some sacrifice to make that happen. So the question we're left with today is, is, how do we do that? How do we go about becoming peacemakers in a world full of conflict and struggle? 
Global immersion's answer to that question, and, and it's an answer that's formed off of an immense amount of, of biblical insight and study and boots-on-the-ground experience, is to implement these four peacemaking practices in our lives. See, immerse, contend, and restore. To see, to commit to seeing the humanity and dignity and image of God in every single person. To understand the truth from their point of view and listen to their stories and honor them with compassionate understanding. To immerse, to be willing to move toward conflict and into discomfort in order to be present in places and with people that need transformation and redemption. To contend, to get involved and get creative and engage, and engage seeking justice alongside the people that you're learning to love. And finally, to restore, to share your life with former enemies and celebrate with all people the big and small ways God is restoring the brokenness in our world. See, immerse, contend, and restore. As we press into each of these today, my encouragement to you would be to open your heart and increase your awareness of how the Holy Spirit might draw you to one or two of these practices. Taking all four on at once is probably too much. You're probably not ready for that much all all, all at once here this morning. And so really just allow God to teach you where you might start and where you might build moving forward. The first practice of peacemaking is to see the humanity, dignity, and image of God in everyone. One of the most remarkable things about Jesus' ministry during his time on earth was how many different kinds of people he was able to connect with and influence and love. Throughout the Gospels, we read on several occasions, Jesus shared meals with men and women who were considered social outcasts and people who were unworthy of acknowledgement, let alone relationship. He listened to the stories of the unclean. He cared about the needs of people outside his own nationality. And he even looked beyond the sins of lawbreakers and sought to, know, sought to know them based on who they were and who they could be, instead of identifying them solely based on according to what they had done. Jesus was able to look at people and see them as more than just the sum total of their actions, their efforts, successes, and failures. He was committed to, and to this day is still committed to, seeing people as God created them to be, made in his image, worthy of love, and in need of compassion and understanding. This is the way that Jesus sees the world, sees the lost, sees you, and sees me. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are we also willing to see others in this way? Are we going to see the humanity and the dignity and the image of God in everyone or, or will we allow our biases and our assumptions to get in the way? Much of my trip with global immersion was this first practice of seeing, of, of trying to see people the way that God sees them. And really, it's the grunt work and the foundational piece of peacemaking. For the most part, it requires awareness and active listening and a willingness to unlearn some of the things you thought you knew about the people around you or the way the world works. This was really made obvious for me in our meeting with a woman named Yolanda, and a man named Jose. They had both been deported to Mexico after having spent many years in the United States as undocumented immigrants. Yolanda had lived in California for 17 years, working to support her two children, managing a fast food restaurant, paying her taxes, and trying to navigate the dangerous task of seeking legal permanent residency without being arrested for revealing her her undocumented status. Nevertheless, on New Year's Eve of 2010, she was detained and quickly deported and was banned from ever returning to the United States. She now lives permanently in Tijuana and has founded an organization that specifically ministers to and resources other deported mothers. 
Jose is a United States Army veteran who served as a sergeant in Vietnam. When he first joined the Army, he was told that he'd automatically become a U.S. citizen when his service had ended. After his career in the Army came to an end, he continued to build his life and his family with the assumption that he was a legal citizen, but then a few years ago, he was detained for a crime that he actually ended up being proved that he did not commit. But while law enforcement worked all that out, they discovered that he wasn't a citizen, that he actually had undocumented status. And he ended up being one of the oldest deportees in recent history. He now works with an organization that supports other deported veterans and tries to help them gain their citizenship. Now, there's nothing about Yolanda or Jose's story or their lives or their past that make figuring out what the right thing to do is very easy. But that's part of why Global Immersion wanted us to meet with them and, and, and hear their stories. They are two people that, if we were honest with ourselves at that time when we met with them, there was nothing, you know, our little team that was going to be there for a couple hours in the afternoon, there was nothing we could do to change their lives or change their situation. The goal of our time with Yolanda and Jose was not to solve. It was to see and to listen and to learn to love them for who they are. In Yolanda, I saw a suffering mother who, through a complicated mixture of injustices and mistakes, was forced to live apart from her children, possibly for the rest of her life. A woman who had tried her hardest to find the right way to do things when surrounded by nothing but bad choices. A believer who still clung to her faith in God, even though she didn't understand why God had allowed her to, to suffer such painful things in her life. In Jose, I saw a man who had dedicated his life to service and then lost everything on a strange and merciless technicality. I heard the story of a man who didn't even know he'd done anything wrong, but couldn't find a place to appeal to grace or even common sense. And in each, I saw the strength to keep going and to still contribute something good to this world, even though that's not what they had received. They each talked about almost giving up, but that building relationships with others and seeking peace with the people that had hurt them and holding tightly to their faith in God is what had saved them. I heard their stories. I saw their humanity, admired their dignity, and most certainly felt drawn to our common bond of being made in the image of God. This peacemaking practice of seeing strips away the ugliness that the world wants us to focus on and leaves us with the true person that God sees and God loves. I could have dismissed Yolanda as, as someone who'd made mistakes and is just simply paying for them now. I could have been put off by Jose's bitterness and anger toward the United States that he still feels to this day. But those are not things that define Yolanda or Jose. They are instead defined by the same truth that defines you and me. We are beloved by God. So a question I challenge you all to ask yourselves this week is who is it that you need to see in your own life? Who is someone that, for whatever reason, you've never looked at as having humanity or dignity or being made in the image of God? If you can think of a specific person you've overlooked or haven't seen with the gracious eyes of Jesus, then I have a second challenge for you as well. Take a step and ask to meet them. Listen to their story. Share some of your own. Build a relationship that has a chance to create peace by seeing that humanity and that dignity and that common bond of being made in the image of God. Blessed are the peacemakers who see humanity and dignity in the image of God in everyone, for they will be called children of God. 
The second peacemaking practice is to immerse, to be willing to move toward conflict and into discomfort in order to be present with people and in places who need transformation and redemption. Obviously, when you take a trip with something called the Global Immersion Project, you're going to do a whole lot of immersing while you're there. I spent three days in San Diego and Tijuana that were packed with new experiences, emotionally charged interactions, and moments of awkwardness and discomfort. But the immersion experience that stands out the most, that that I thought about for weeks after I had returned and honestly still continue to think about frequently to this day, is the chance that we had to meet with a woman that today that I'll call Mary. Our team met Mary at a shelter for migrant women who were attempting to escape their violent and abusive pasts. She had fled from her home in Central America in the middle of the night after her husband had demanded that she work for him, and since her husband was a pimp, what he was demanding was that she become a prostitute. She had known throughout the 10 years of their abusive marriage that he may one day make this demand of her, but the threat that from her husband became too real when he said that if she didn't do this, if she didn't start sleeping with men for his profit, that he was going to take her, her, her children away and that she would never see them again. Mary knew that she and her children had to get as far away as possible, which is how this mother of two little kids from Central America ended up hiding in a shelter at the Mexico border, waiting for an asylum hearing with the United States that, to be perfectly honest, probably had less than a 50-50 chance of, of getting approved. This part of my trip went from seeing to immersing when Mary, with, with tears on her face, told all of us that my, my dream is to keep my kids safe. My dream is to give my kids a safe future. And the only place that I think I can do that is if I find a way to stay with my sister who lives in Kansas. My body went ice cold. Reaching Kansas is this woman's dream. Reaching a place that I have taken for granted pretty much every day of my life is what she believes that she needs to keep herself alive and give her kids a future. I was terrified to ask her where in Kansas she wanted to go because if she had said Manhattan, Kansas, I was going to lose my mind. (laughs) Still, I did manage to ask her where she had hoped to to live someday, and because of the Facebook live feed and the ever-present risk of her husband tracking her down, I I won't say the exact city that she's trying to reach, but I can tell you it's, it's, it's not all that far away from here. Many of us have probably been there at some point or another. After I spoke with Mary, or after, after Mary spoke to our group, I was blessed to give, have a chance to pray with her and her children. And I can't remember any of the words that, that I prayed that day. Mostly what I can remember is, is that it was the hardest prayer that I've ever been asked to pray and, and just being sick about the fact that I didn't know what I could say that would bring her hope or, or change anything about her situation. But after I prayed and our group dispersed to see the rest of the shelter, Mary found me and thanked me for my prayer. And she told me that meeting people from the United States who were willing to hear her story and were willing to meet the other women at the shelter and and share some love and and just even listen to them and honor them and and, and give them dignity for for just hearing where they're at and, and the struggles they go through, it brought all of them comfort and hope and peace. And so I thanked her for honoring us with her vulnerability and her testimony, and and we hugged and we teared up a little, and then we went our separate ways. I have no idea if I'll ever see Mary again before the return of Christ, but I do keep an eye out for her anytime that I happen to be in the Kansas town that I hope that she reaches someday. Immersing is moving into those moments and being willing to accept the discomfort and share in the conflict for the prize of relationship 
and transformation and redemption. I will forever be changed from having had the chance to meet Mary and hear her story, and I hope that the love that our little group was able to share with her on that day stays with her as well. But I wonder what it might look like to immerse into conflict and and chaos here in Manhattan. How can we move toward places where people need connection and love and redemption right here in our own community? Immersing doesn't have to be as dramatic as praying for a woman who's attempting to escape an abusive past and immigrate into the United States. I'll I'll be honest, I rarely do something like that here in Manhattan. I don't find a lot of opportunities quite like that one. But there are still some really simple and some really amazing things that you can do to get out of your comfort zone here and move toward the lives of other people and, and start to learn about the conflict and the things that they suffer. If you live in a multicultural neighborhood, you could try learning the language of one of your neighbors. Even a, a couple simple phrases is an incredible, uh, incredible sign of welcome and, and outreach. Head out to one of the community meals that happens every night in our town, but don't go as, as a volunteer. Don't go as a server. Just go as a community member. Rub shoulders with the folks that are there and, and swap stories and learn more about each other's lives and, and the struggles and the conflict that you face right here. Join a community sports league with people that you've never met and, and learn more about them that way. Or if you're like me and you're very unathletically gifted, you can go to a local coffee shop, but don't take your journal, don't take your music, don't take your books, just go and sit and listen and see what's going on around you and say hi to the person that walks in the door and and sits next to you and and see if you can strike up a, a good conversation. The bottom line for peacemaking through immersing is to move toward people. Don't isolate yourself. Displace yourself a little bit and find out what God is up to in the places you don't often go and among the people you don't often connect with. Blessed are the peacemakers, the ones willing to move toward conflict and into discomfort in order to be present in the places and with people that need transformation and redemption, for they will be called children of God. A third peacemaking practice is contend, to get involved and get creative and engage in seeking justice alongside the people you've learned to love. As you read through the Gospels, you find a lot of examples of Jesus being an expert at seeing and being an expert at loving people and immersing into their lives in order to build beautiful relationships and and change their lives. But But in a scene from Luke chapter 4, we also discover that much of the work Jesus was sent to do here on earth included getting directly involved and freeing people from the from their bondage and establishing justice for those suffering from oppression. When given a chance to read and teach in a synagogue in Nazareth, Jesus applied the following words to his own ministry and his own purpose. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Justice-seeking is something Christ cares about and a major part of his earthly ministry in the Gospels and a continuing feature of his ministry while he reigns from heaven as Lord over all creation. It is part of his peacemaking process, and so it needs to be part of ours as well. However, justice-seeking and peacemaking are not necessarily synonymous. They're, They're not the exact same thing. The founders of Global Immersion state this in their book, Mending the Divides, when they write that peacemakers who see and immerse will inherently encounter injustice and be called to join God in righting wrongs. In short, peacemaking is the journey and justice is one of the central components of walking that journey with integrity. 
Our third peacemaking practice, contend, is where our call to justice is fleshed out in tangible, costly, and creative ways. Through Jesus' words and embodied in his life, we get a robust understanding of what contending is in everyday life. In other words, this step of contending for others, while important, it's extremely important, but you cannot isolate it from the rest of the process. You still have to do the work of seeing and immersing and relationship building. One of the best contenders I met while in Mexico was a man named Benito. He was deported after living in San Diego for 28 years, and and he's got an amazing story that I wish I had time to tell you in detail. But suffice it to say that, that after he was deported, Benito discovered that many deportees were living in constant danger of being preyed on by corrupt landlords who would take what little money they had and then kick them out of these shelters that they needed to survive. He's now working hard, Benito's now working hard to change all of that and to overcome the injustice that he almost became a victim of himself. He spends each day networking all over Tijuana and finding safe places for migrants and deportees to stay and live. He's countering injustice with hard work and a really big heart. He summed up his ministry in one of my favorite statements from the whole trip just for how simple but but awesome and, and beautiful it is. When he was talking about his ministry, he said to us, we try, his, his group, this ministry he's built, he says, we try to be nice. We try to give people a chance to start a new life. And I thank God for that chance. Benito contends. He gets involved and gets creative and creates justice in the lives of the people that he's learning to love every single day of his life. I wish Benito could be my neighbor here in Manhattan. That would be, that would be awesome. But I'm so glad that he's my brother in Christ. Because contending first requires the the steps of seeing and immersing, of establishing those relationships with the people around you and learning to love them, you may not be able to think of something, a way that you could go contend immediately, that you could leave here in this week, just jump right in. And that's okay, because we really do want you to think about those first two steps before you jump into contending. You can't fix everything all at once. But you might already be in a situation where you have been contending or the opportunity is there. You might have some small or big way that you're already standing in the trenches with people in Manhattan who are suffering or or, or who are suffering under injustice or or fighting oppression. If you feel that you're in this place, then my challenge to you would be to, to please keep going. Keep that work up and keep praying and asking God for what your next step should be as you continue to fight for others and, and, and be a voice for the voiceless and, and challenge those things that keep people locked into injustice. And then the other thing I would ask is that share your stories with us and invite us to come along and see the work you're doing and meet the people you've gotten to know so that we can better understand what's going on in our community and try to engage it as well. Justice is a big deal to God, and so it should be a big deal to us as well. Blessed are the peacemakers, the ones who get involved and get creative and and engage seeking justice alongside the people they've learned to love, for they will be called children of God. The fourth and final peacemaking practice is to restore, to share your life with former enemies and celebrate with all people the big and small ways God is restoring our broken world. There is a catch to this practice of restoration. It is less something we do and more something that God is doing that he invites us to be a part of. You see, God takes the initiative of restoration throughout all the Bible. In in all the Bible, we see that it's God that reaches out and finds a way to heal us and to deliver us and to ultimately save us from our sins. God restores broken relationships. God mends broken people. God shed his blood on the cross so that we could be alive and whole and with him forever. 
In Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, it says, For God was, was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God makes all things new. God is the one who makes peace possible. We are blessed to be peacemakers because our God is a God of a gospel and of restoration and reconciliation and revival. He brings the dead to life. He sets the captives free. He loves his enemies and teaches us to do all these things in his same way. I could end our time with a story of restoration from south of the border, but instead I want to invite you to take some time, either this morning, later this week, or perhaps as we, as we take communion here in a moment, and reflect on what restoration means in your own life. Who do you know that God has restored? Or how has he restored you? When was the last time you thanked him or praised him for the way that restoration has occurred in your life? And what sort of restoration do you still hope for and pray for? And long to see. Blessed are the peacemakers, the ones who joyfully share life with former enemies and celebrate with all people the wondrous restorative works of God in our broken world as he heals hearts and mends lives and makes all things new. For they will be called the children of God. As we move into our celebration of communion,